they're all still, still sitting there interpreted different ways. And that's why I think curiosity, and uh, you know, I'm one of the I'm one of your greatest believers in research. To yeah. me, research is nothing more than listening. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I think, how do you understand anyone without listening to mm. anything? You know, like, how do I understand your life unless I ask you questions? And, and, and as a consequence of understanding that, I can respond to you yeah. or I can put things in front of you that you want. Like I, I have a little saying that's kept me alive for ages and that is the role of marketing is to make selling superfluous. Yeah. If I know what you want, I don't need to sell it to you. I need to make it available. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is the key to the internet. You know, the, es- the essence that drives the internet is not technology. It's making things available to people in an easier format. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone, and welcome to Real People where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we welcome Peter Joy to talk about all things people, brands, trust and the importance of products and places telling a compelling story. Peter is well recognised as a leading brand thinker and strategist building on a highly successful career in advertising and marketing. Peter has held senior executive roles in local and globally focused brands and advertising agencies, including Clemenger BBDO, Young and Rubicon and Jam Shop. Peter is currently executive chair of Brand South Australia, a not-for-profit member-based organisation with a sole aim to positively position South Australia, as well as holding other board and consulting roles. We sat down in the iconic Adelaide restaurant Ragoni's for coffee to go on a wonderful journey from Peter's childhood, ever curious about everything, but especially how people communicate. This is an interview overflowing with insights and observations on life, small cities and towns, and how to tell a great brand story that builds trust and reputation. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now. From the beginning. Peter, thank, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I'm going to start right back at the beginning, like we do with all of these interviews. What were you like as a young boy? Um, I think, you know, the one thing that I remember is curiosity. Mm. You know, the, the thing that led me to the profession I'm in today is a curiosity with how we communicate. Yeah. You know, I still find it amazing that you can mumble the sounds, and that's all they are, mm. and, uh, and yet there's a mechanism inside you that not only can interpret that, but respond to it, work it all out, yeah. and create an answer in nanoseconds. Yeah, 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 and you go, how incredible is that? And, you know, the most amazing thing is they still don't know how it works. Mm. <laughs> and it's almost that automi- automatic kind of autopilot kind yeah. of thinking, isn't it? So, so when, when you were a young boy, what were, you think, what were the things you were curious about? 
I, 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 you know, it's, it's, not, it's a common theme with my life today. And it is, I'm curious about everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I look at windows and ads and people and all sorts of things and go, why? Yeah. <laughs> and I love to understand. Did you have sort of particular areas of interest or like we had one... Um, Phil Reedman was on. He said he was fascinated with birds. He said even to today, he could go, oh, that, that's that such and such bird because that's flying. What, was there anything well, in particular? Well, you know, I was fascinated with how we think and how, how we, we talk. Think, yeah. So I did psychology yeah, really? at university. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but if I, you went back to you as, say, an eight-year-old... As an eight-year-old, thing... no, I think I was still... I was, you know, I, my earliest memories was a curiosity with the world. You yeah, know, people, yeah. uh, things... Um, and, and I didn't realise, I think, at the time that, you know, what a great asset that was. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I just thought everyone was curious. But, but in fact, being curious, I think, is one of the great things to instil in everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> because it drives you to try and find answers for things. In terms of which, how that works, and yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it can lead you to, you know, being an explorer or anything. In, in any field, mm. curiosity is a great skill. And it's probably as important, if not more important today than what it, what it yeah, was in many yeah, ways. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think as a young kid, I, you know, I like to try different things. I was never... If I look back, in fact, over my career, even going right back to uh, being a little kid, the minute I thought I understood something was the minute I disengaged. Like, I I wanted to disconnect and try something else. Um, And even as a kid, you know, if it was a sport or something or a collection or something, the minute I thought I'd understood it, even in a very naive way, it was time to move on. (laughs) So you, you asked a lot of whys and... Oh, no, I, I think not verbally. Yeah, I think but in your mind, it's almost like that loop of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting in these discussions of people who are not necessarily technically kind of researchers, but researchers or like their career has become about people. They were curious as children. It's almost like a really yeah. interesting kind of link, yeah. link going back there. The child informs the adult. You don't even necessarily yeah. map it out in a linear well, way. I've, but I've be- never mapped it out. I've never mapped a day in my life. I often I have this little saying that I've had for many years, which is success cannot be pursued. It's the inevitable mm. outcome of doing well what you love doing. Yeah. So when you think about, like, say, you as a child that was curious and then you went into university and studied psychology. Yeah. So did the psychology about the curiosity of how people think or yeah, work? Yeah, although or? it was, I mean, so I did, uh, I grew up in Melbourne and did psychology and economics at Melbourne University. And I was one of only three people with that sort of combination mm. in you know, a university with a couple of thousand people in it, um, which was curious in itself. Um, but I, I think it was that combination of being curious about people, but also the commercial motive for why they did what they did. So mm. trying to understand how they responded to communications or how they behaved in economic sort of commercial circumstances was the thing that drove that. The interesting thing is the reality of the course was most of the psychology was about child development, mm. <laughs> nothing to do with how our brains work, um, although indirectly it was. Yeah. Um, and most of economics was about industrial relations and all sorts of stuff like that, which I, you know, I never found to be particularly relevant to yeah. what I thought. You had your mind about. about what psychology and economics yeah. might teach you and yeah. 
but uh, at you know, the time. I, it, it, curiosity kept me reading books and yeah. talking to different people, so I got there eventually. Yeah. What did you do post-uni? Uh, I did a postgraduate uh, uh, degree in marketing at Monash. Yeah. Um, so you then, think it was that straight after your degree? Yeah, yeah. I, my first job was as a, an assistant product manager for Heinz yeah, in okay. Dandenong, working yeah. on baby food. Yeah. And I launched a product for them called Nine Lives Cat Food, yeah. which was, there's, there's an hour and a half discussion. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I applied for a job as a product manager for Orlando Wines, and yeah. that brought me to Adelaide when I was 22. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that career was sort of always um, out of... Um, a fascination with economics and psychology led me into marketing and yeah. advertising ultimately. Yeah. And you've had since then had some key marketing roles, but obviously key agency roles. Can you yeah. Tell us a, in a couple of those sort of points that have been, I don't know, most memorable. Well, uh, um, poignant. I mean, you know, my first job at Orlando Wines, I was responsible for uh, uh, a wine cast yeah. uh, at a time when casts were sixty percent of the business. Um, I then went on to Berry Estates, which was the largest winery in the Southern Hemisphere. Ultimately, became BRL Hardy and Treasury Wine or Constellation, or who knows what they are now. Um, uh, and from that, launched five litre cars for Berry. I was their first marketing manager, um, and then got into the through that connection got into the advertising business at Clemenger mm. and worked as uh, an account director at Clemenger Adelaide then I was fascinated by the strategy side of that so I tried to develop the strategic um, side of advertising and then went to Young and Rubicum as a strategy director and Ultimately, got involved in all sorts of things, running the John Martin's account strategy development for Mitsubishi and tourism and all sorts of things. Uh, then from that, had a, I was there for um, about eight years. I was approached by a, an old friend, a guy who um, ran a company called Solar Optical. Yeah. And... Uh, went over to them because I thought that was one of the most interesting challenges, how do you brand bits of plastic mm. that no one knows anything about, um, and then went back to the wine And they had a MD. global market, did they, solar? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, solar Optical started in Gawler Plates uh, yeah. in, in the basement of Ormond and Pank. Oh, okay. It was listed on the New York Stock Exchange in 1996 at the height of the dot-com boom, and 8,000 employees, 40 uh, different manufacturing plants, big operation. And um, I was brought in as the first vice president of uh, global brand development. Yeah, wow, okay. Too late, really, because it it had turned into a commodity business by then. And Japanese and Chinese had come in and just were undercutting them. And it was very hard to build a brand around a piece of plastic that... Where you don't ultimately control the end output. In other words, it's interpreted. Does that mean the strategy needs to come in with enough time to drive the brand? Is that right? Is that a lesson from that yeah, experience? No, well, or? I, I think the, the, the thing that we were working towards was actually developing a, a lens that would be recognised as a solar product 
regardless of where it ended up. Mm. So it, it was a bit like not a transitions, but transitions to the really interesting brand um, because it's essentially a coated plastic lens, but they've built a brand around it. Um, and people ask for it by name. And so we were working towards that. But unfortunately, we just didn't get there in time. But yep. it, was, it was close. The, so the business had, all, had become and it was entrenched in the marketplace as being a commodity product. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost, yeah. it was yeah. difficult yeah. or, or yeah. impossible to, to save. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, um, one of the great lessons I've learned is that a brand is nothing more than a commodity to which you attach meaning. It applies to everything we buy. And it's really interesting because if I go back to the solar optical example, it's really hard to attach meaning to a, a plastic lens. Mm-hmm. I think you, there's lots of meaning in vision, but it's it's hard to connect to a specific piece of plastic. So what could the, an innovation like that have done for this... To come in sooner with the brand, what what what, what, should, what could uh, or should they have done? Have, uh, it would have totally changed their life. I mean, they what, what, what could they have done? Right? Let's say well, I'll, I'll tell years you years because it, it's dead now. Yeah. But the, the concept, one of the um, PhDs, um, and I worked in the solar R and D centre down at Lonsdale. They had fifty or sixty people in that building. And one of them had developed a concept for a lens which was shaped like your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Really simple, really interesting yeah, yeah, concept. Yeah. When you think about it, mm. that means wherever I look, the lens is the same distance yeah. away from my eye. Yeah. Um, and that was quite unique. They had a patent mm. on that. But the actual development of, uh, like I meant, physical production of that lens was incredibly difficult. Incredibly. Yeah. It took two years, and, and they spent millions of dollars in development. Mm. And we finally got there, yeah. just as the company collapsed. Yeah, okay, yeah. So having that unique product yeah. that you can brand has been a unique, yeah, differentiated yeah. product. So yeah. as soon as everybody's coming in and... Yeah. Okay. So from solar, where did you... Where and did then you I, went, I came back to Young and Rubicum yeah. as the managing director of the Adelaide office. Um, I mean, at that time, there were 100 people in that yeah. office. It was the biggest YNR office in Australia. Um, and I walked into all sorts of issues and problems there. It's been about three years there and, um, and then ultimately decided to set up my own business yeah. uh, called Jam yeah. and did that for about 13 years and sold yeah. it about four years ago. Yeah, okay, good. So I'm always interested in the things over time in terms of business or strategy or people or that that never change. So we talk so much in in marketing and strategy and digital, that what, what things are changing in the emerging trends, yep. what would you say the consistencies that are that as much uh, relevant today as they were back well, 10, uh, 20 years or I'm so ago? I'm a great believer in the fact that lots of things change, but people don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the same basic core motivations that drive us uh, have been around for thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, same mating behaviours and... Um, preening and um, food collection and if you look at all of the basic things that we go through, they're all still still sitting there interpreted different ways and that's why I think curiosity and you know, you know I'm one of the 
I'm one of your greatest believers in research. To yeah. me, research is nothing more than listening. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, I think, how do you understand anyone without listening to mm. anything? You know, like, how do I understand your life unless I ask you questions? And, and, and as a consequence of understanding that, I can respond to you or I can put things in front of you that you want. Like I, I have a little saying that's kept me alive for ages and that is the role of marketing is to make selling superfluous. Yeah. If I know what you want, I don't need to sell it to you. I need to make it available. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is the key to the internet. You know, the, es- the essence that drives the internet is not technology. It's making things available to people in an easier format. So just the, 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 the curiosity with people, so what would you sort of say are some of the, the key drivers that have remained the same? It's just that, like, what, what, what would you say if, you, if you're a marketer now or a business now locking into the same drivers as somebody a couple of decades ago? What you know, there is, you know, I, I think the, the problem we have is that we are easily fooled with technology and change. You know, just take, I was watching something on the news last night about loneliness of old mm-hmm. people. Yeah. You know what? Loneliness has been around since caveman. That's right. Right? Now, the interesting thing, if you think about it in today's environment, there are solutions, products, opportunities in their million, worth millions of dollars mm. associated with one simple observation, mm. and that is people can't handle loneliness. Yeah, yeah. So when you observe that and you're curious about what does that mean and how do you solve it, you know, I'd love to start again. I'd love to be 25 again and just start because any of these observations, and I, I give that as a simple example about loneliness, but it applies to all of the human characteristics of mating, eating, sleeping, resting, insecurities. They've been there for thousands of years. Yeah. We've just either fail to recognise them or don't act on them appropriately. You know, you see these little businesses come out of nowhere and you go, how did that happen? Mm. Are they really smart startups? No. They touched, to use um, Hugh McKay's great saying, they touched the inaudible whispers of the soul. They touched the things that people think about but fail to articulate. That's right. And when a company articulates through a product or a piece of communication something that connects to genuine need and meaning mm-hmm. within a person, it, it, it takes off. Yeah, that's right. It's got, and, and even if they haven't got all their ducks aligned and they haven't got a distribution or whatever, people will find them. Yeah, that's right. We, we say it's so like finding a successful business comes from find a, finding a fundamental wrong that needs to be made right. Yeah. And those things, it's almost like that pioneering spirit of, not everything's been discovered, and sometimes the most obvious discoveries come from yeah. the most obvious. It's, it's just sitting I mean, I, there, and it's yeah. a I think one of the most uh, uh, salient ones at the moment is trust. Yeah, that's right. What a really interesting concept. Yeah, and I was thinking the other day, isn't it fascinating that when I drive home tonight, I pull up at a red light, right, mm. and, and you go, that simple act of that light turning on saves my life mm. every 30 seconds. Mm. And you go, it's just a freaking red light. Mm. It's not, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's an act of trust that the person on the other side mm. of that intersection 
understands that symbol and acts on it, right? Mm. And, and, and I think that's the, the essence of all of this stuff that, you know, without trust, we don't function as humans mm. very well. And trust goes back to the cave again going, listen, I'm going out hunting. Can you look after the kids? Mm-hmm. I trust you that when I come home tonight, those kids are still alive and well fed yes. because I bought you some meat. Mm. And, and all of these little acts of trust sort of sitting um, in our community are fundamental. And that's why, I, you know, I can see these breakdowns in trust with food companies yeah. that are selling yeah. me, you know, frozen berries with salmonella in them. Not interested in me. Mm-hmm. They're interested in shareholders. Government who lie to say one thing yeah. in one day and not the other. Um, you know... Big business can't be trusted. Look at the yeah, banking right. royal commission. And now, one of the most fundamental is I can't trust the church either. Yeah, yeah. So the interesting thing is, here's a fundamental human characteristic called trust. And and where do I go? And there's two areas where people are going to get it. The first is family, and the second is community. In other words, we're getting yeah. narrower and narrower um, and, because we need it. Without trust, mm. we, we fall apart mm. as human beings, and we have thousands of years. That's right. And it's a global issue. There, there's the Elderton Index that's measuring trust across the world and increasingly finds that the trust yeah, is, is in decay with government and corporate and, yeah. and, and otherwise, which, is, which backs up your, your, um, your, your points that you're raising. I sort of find it fascinating from a from a government or corporate side. I think a corporate way, I guess you can kind of understand it to us, not necessarily um, condone it, but can understand it because they've, they've got shareholders and they've got to make a profit. And gee, it might be nice to build up trust and to do everything right for the people, but at the end of the day, we've got to we've got to have a return. But from a government side, there seems to be even sort of more trust issues just in terms of being able to build that. And you go, well, just like really be authentic, be real, do what you promise. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it's I not even—it's not even just a local issue. It's a—it's a global issue. It's I think, and again, it comes down to one of those fundamental principles that we've observed as people, and that is, trust is earned, not claimed. Mm. In other words, if you want my trust, you can't just ask for it. You have to earn it, mm. and governments don't earn it, and companies don't earn it. They expect it, mm. and you go, "No, that's not right." Mm. And I think that you know, a very interesting concept that I observe is. Um, an organisation's culture is starting to become an organisation's brand. In other words, how I treat my people, how I uh, run my organisation through social media mm. is now transparent. And the classic case study is United Airlines, mm. who can spend hundreds of millions of dollars saying, fly the friendly skies of United Airlines, mm. and then rough handle a passenger off one plane mm. and all hell breaks loose. And what do you believe as an individual? That. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't believe advertising. Mm. You're trying to con me. Mm-hmm. So uh, from a commercial side, I think particularly on big commercial, is it that conflict of we want it... Like, that maybe they should be people-focused and building up trust, but they've got those commercial measures. Say big banks are owned by equity funds and share markets yeah. and, and whatever. Is it is it having measures that aren't purely financial? Is it, what, what, what do well, you think the no, answer is? I, I think it? the mistake they make is a, they've got to start believing that, that profit and trust are outcomes, not objectives. Yeah. 
In other words, you earn a profit by doing the right thing, supplying the right product to the right people in the right place. Uh, you earn trust by doing what you say, mm. uh, honouring obligations, delivering on promises, th- delivering yeah, yeah. on promises. All of the things that we as individuals—I mean, there is no place in our brain for corporate thinking and individual yeah. thinking. The majority of our thinking as customers or consumers is individual. Yeah. It's how you treat me and how I treat you becomes the model and benchmark for how companies should treat me. Yeah. I, I don't make it any different because I don't want to. Why should I? So, you know, the, I think when you lose contact or companies lose contact with the honesty and integrity of how would I treat you as an individual if I was face to face with you, that's where they need to return because they've lost focus with why they were there in the first place. Yeah, and you 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 mentioned just then about um, they need to return or they lost that focus. So if we went back a few years ago, the trust was likely higher or maybe the consumers were more naive and the trust has been eroded and now there's that need to to build that trust back up again? I, or is it... I think, you know, the, if, uh, the classic to me at the moment is the Banking Royal Commission. Yeah. The interesting thing is, like all trust, it's, it, it's there until it's abused. Like mm. if... if we're in a personal relationship. That's right. I can, you know, I can be married and go home tonight quite happily and go and find out for the last five years my wife's been having an affair. It's that act of knowing, not the yeah, act yeah. of doing it, that has abused the trust. And I think the same thing has existed with the banks. In other words, they've been doing these things because they comply with the structures and profit objectives mm-hmm. set up, but they've now been found out. Yeah. So I, I think there will be, like rebuilding a, rela- a personal relationship, mm-hmm. there's two things that can happen. One is divorce or we totally change yeah, fundamentals of how we interact. And I think um, both will occur in, out of the result of Banking Royal Commission. One is people will walk away going, listen, I'm going to digital finance or mm-hmm. non-bank finance because you guys have lost it. Or they will rebuild the relationship yeah. but on a different basis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, either way, trust has to be rebuilt, and it's yeah. no different to rebuilding it after an affair, a yeah, personal yeah, affair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, I guess that trust, whether it can actually be rebuilt, once there's an assumption, say, your banking's working, it's doing everything right, and then there's that thing yeah. that there's much more transparency nowadays, all, all sorts of things you hear about of things that were maybe okay a few decades ago, and then suddenly they become out and go, wow, yeah. we've been... We've been screwing over consumers forever, and so that that demand for transparency is is much higher. But I guess I look at and go that trust and transparency, and then you start having the entrepreneurs and disruptors coming into the market, who are taking advantage of those situations that are beyond recovering trust, so they can actually enter to to, to take advantage of that. Is that that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's any different to um, personal relationship. Example that. um, you know, I can be with uh, someone for 30 years and then if that trust is abused, I do have these choices where I can be flattered by some nice young thing that comes along and goes, that's much better. That's right. Uh, or I can go back and rebuild it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think companies, you know, even the big companies, the big food companies, uh, you know, the fact that um, trust is inherent 
in everything I eat and drink is is overlooked by a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah. Almost that that that, that sense of of deception of going all this time and I thought everything was okay, <laughs> whether it's a relationship or whether it's your bank or whether yeah. it's your, yeah. your whatever. And I think the other interesting part of it is, you know, I can sit here and go, well, they haven't done that, that bank hasn't done it to me, mm. but they've done it to lots of other people. So I'm a bit off guard about mm. all of this because I want you to treat, it could be, could have been me. Mm. And it's like having... Um, you know, again, friends that have broken up. Mm. You know, and there's been a fair year ago. I thought I understood that person. Mm. You know, I thought they were really happily married and all that sort of stuff. What 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 has gone on? And it, and it makes you question uh, all the, your values, the, all your yeah. values, and the nature of the relationship you have with yeah. those people. Even though it's not you going through it, you go. And often you find, for example, that people in a broken relationship pick sides. Mm. They go, well, I'll stay friends with the wife or yeah. the husband. And the reason is they're making a bit of a value judgment on the, the importance of the friendship or yeah. how far it goes back or who they thought did the right or wrong thing. Yeah, that's interesting. And always that, also that sense that as a society, as, we, as trust and transparency become more of an issue, we, we almost start to self-protect yeah. and, and government and regulators start to protect. So yes, we, of we potentially become more risk adverse and more boring because yeah. we don't yeah. want to take any yeah. risks. Yeah, and, and you can see that yeah. happening too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see the outcome of the Banking Royal Commission and I can tell you immediately, just as a naive observer, that two things will happen. One is uh, ASIC will have had their knuckles wrapped and will step up to the plate and mm. start getting really tough about regulating uh, financial institutions. And the other thing is that the government will start to step in and say, listen, we let you have a go at this and you haven't done a particularly good job, so mm. we're going to make sure you do a good job mm. <laughs> by imposing new legislation to fix that. So, uh, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see the outcome of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the role of brand. So you had a bit of a touch on brand a couple of times through our discussion so far. Yeah. But how does a brand build? How does it grow? Does it yeah, come back to trust? Does it come back to having an innovation that's different? I think, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, after 40 years doing this stuff, I, I've actually come to a view that a brand is very much like a person's reputation. Mm. And you go, well, how do you get a reputation? Well, generally, it's not me telling you how good I am. It's other people telling you how good I am. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think, uh, particularly with social media today, that is a very important... Brands are built by reviews and people. And the reason is I trust those people, even though I don't know them, Mm. more than I trust you. And that's a big call. Yeah. But if you think of brands in terms of reputations, where did that reputation, where does a person's reputation come from? And that is, first and foremost, it comes by what you do, Mm. not what you say. Yeah. And uh, and therefore, how companies act is much more important than what they say. So how they act culturally, how they act in terms of handling and Mm. relationships with customers is worth much more than logos and advertising. It, it is the essence of what a reputation mm-hmm. and a brand's all about. And the, uh, and the things that make good brands to me, are, uh, you know, there's little 
formula that I've developed, which is a brand is nothing more than a commodity to which you attach meaning. I mean, that, you know, if I look at what you what you're wearing and yeah. say, um, if you spent more than sixty dollars on that shirt. I know that the meaning of clothes to you mm. is good, is yeah. high, yeah, okay. right? If you spent less, you go, I don't care about clothes. Yeah. They're just things that keep yeah. you from getting cold. Yeah. But if personal appearance has a meaning to you, then that shirt will be worth $1,000 yeah, and you'll okay. willingly yeah. pay it. Yeah. But I can take every component of everything in your life and give it a meaning rating, yeah. if you like, and I can work out your life by the way that you've allocated your income yeah. and, and where you live and what you do. In other words, working on brands up Australia, one of the things that's key is the people who live in Adelaide um, generally... Oh, wow. Have give higher value and meaning to family, hmm. right? I'm not saying that people in Sydney and Melbourne don't like their families, but they go, no, no, I, I want to be at sports day on Thursday, yeah. and you know, I want to balance life. And yeah, work's important to me, but you know, wow, you know, there's lots of other things that are a bit more important in my We're life. We're in another um, area of the world or segment. In the population, might, they might say that's not important or less important. Yeah, I, well, I, I, th- I think you know, right? take out the fact that our kids, um, the big issue about kids leaving Adelaide, I, I, I have a, a sort of reverse view, and that is um, I think that curious, ambitious kids will leave anywhere. Oh, that's <laughs> right. And, that, and that's one of my bugbears. Going, well, people, I'm assuming people who study at um, New York University will, will, will leave Paris, <laughs> London. They, yeah. They'll leave, and that's just part of it is. What, it's what it's, it's part of a right of that passage. global mindset. I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. and uh, and I think you know the interesting thing to me is I have a daughter living in Sydney who's uh, not only quite talented but also very ambitious. Mm. And you know what? Sydney attracts ambitious people. So mm. what you've got is you've got ambitious people tripping over each other to get to some position. Mm. The thing that changes uh, is their values. You know, when they have children and they go, I can't keep living like this. I can't spend all this amount of time in traffic. I can't mm. keep working there till 10 o'clock to try and get to the next position. I'm going to change this. I'm going to go home in some cases or I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to break out of the city. Mm. I'm going to go live in Byron Bay uh, because I don't want to play this game anymore. Mm. These values no longer meet my needs. And it's almost a, not sort of trust is the right word, but it's almost saying, I've started a career, they were all the values I had, and yeah. I've gone, what the hell? Like, this, is, yeah. this is not what I actually kind of thought it would be, and it seems to be more of a trend in some of the discussions we've had of that idea that you can, you can be globally successful either as a freelancer or as a professional um, or as a business, technically, not always in reality, but technically from anywhere. Yeah, is, that, absolutely. is that fair? Is absolutely. That, yeah. I, I think to bring it back to um, you know, your profession of research, I, I actually think that interpreting and understanding personal meaning mm. is an incredibly important skill, resource um, and need mm. because we assume it by mm. large. We don't understand it well enough um, you know and, and 
I, I keep going along to these meetings and presentations where people have launched their new logo or new campaign, and I'm going, you know, one of the things when we did Brand South Australia, um, you know, five, six years ago now, was Ken Cato, who designed the state brand, had this lovely saying. He said, logos are designed to trigger meaning, not create it. And then I'll take you back to the stop sign. Yeah. The meaning in a stop sign is not the sign. The meaning is what I do when I see the sign. Mm. And, I, and I go through this instantaneous thing going, should I better stop here or I could die? Yeah. <laughs> that train's going to come yeah. straight through. The interesting thing is that behaviour that it's triggered by this stuff. And, uh, and that's why, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm a, like you, a disciple of Hugh McKay's, mm. and, and go that, that it's what we do with communication that's important, yeah. not what communication does to us. Yeah, OK. Yeah. And in that context... Once you've captured that message, what you yeah. do as an individual... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and I think because communication triggers meaning... It's the stuff inside me and how it got there and also what what I do with what you say to me or, or do to me mm. that is important. Um, so in that context, you know, I think listening and using research to understand what people are capable of doing mm. or what is, is much more important than do you like my campaign. I don't, yeah. I don't, it's not about your campaign. It's about my life. Yeah. <laughs> And when you get to think like marketing and advertising, um, the idea of being available, a product, a product kind of selling itself to a certain extent, if it's a good product, has a good reputation, it'll sell itself. Um, is it the way we do market and advertise and communicate, is it changing or will we find in a time in 10, 20 years' time in the future you don't need marketing and advertising? Oh. I'm a great believer that uh, advertising, as we understand it, is dead, yeah. and communication has never been more important. Okay. Right. In other words, there's a fundamental change in that, and that is, you know, engineered communication still works. You know, I get it, but communication of how messages get to me and what I do with them is more critical than it's ever been because I'm in an environment full of deception, change, lack of trust. So I am taking in more messages than I can consume because I need to, right? Mm. I need this stuff. In the old days, when I trusted everyone, you only had to say, listen, I'll be there at 2 o'clock. Yeah. And I go, right. Now I'm checking on my phone whether you're going to make it or not. And um, gosh, the last few times you didn't make it. And, what, and, yeah. and I've got these mechanisms to see whether you're going to deliver on your promise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very interesting way that the world is going in terms of we're soaking up communications, not because of the technology, because we need to, because we don't trust the stuff that mm -hmm. we're given. So I'll take that same bit of information from five or six different sources and try and make a judgment out of it. Yeah. But, you know, advertising is bias, always has been, and it's one source. Yeah. Now I'm getting it from everywhere. Yeah. And you go, isn't that overwhelming? No, I want it from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I assume we'll get to the point where 
know, a certain regularity. Your, your, your clothing arrives and it knows what taste you've got, knows how much money you've got available, and so therefore you don't necessarily need to be advertising a brand. You might have the likes of Amazon, which is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. You want some shoes and you sort of do you use your sort of yeah. you, just your voice to, and it sends you a pair of shoes that are perfect for you. Yeah, they I might be brand related. They might not be brand related. I, th- I think the sad part of that, uh, and I think you're right, except I think a lot of people will turn around and go. You've worked me out so much that you haven't left any room for me to yeah. experiment. And, that and human to, side. Uh, the yeah. human side. And I think, you know, I also chair Rundle Mall, and it's very interesting. You go, well, you know, bricks and mortar shopping's yeah. dead, buddy, isn't it? You're done. I said, well, the actual task of buying things is certainly under threat. But the ability to uh, come to a, a public place, talk to people, see people, share, uh, talk about things. Um, I came across a great saying out of research. <laughs> I was running a focus yeah. group and one of these women said, shopping is how I work out what I want. Mm. <laughs> and I'm going... Oh, a male interpretation of that is no, I need black socks, I go to black shop, shop, buy them and get out of there. That's not how the whole world thinks. And I think, you know, this um, public places, in terms of physical places, have existed for thousands of years. Mm. They're not going to go away. And that need for community and yeah. connection, like you mentioned earlier yeah. on, is, is yeah. going to continue forever. So yeah. those retail precincts, precincts like Rundle Mall will yeah. evolve yeah. with that and, in mind. And it may be that you come to a place like Rundle Mall and sit on the computer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right? yeah. But you, you're surrounded by other people. Yeah. We interviewed Fiona Kerr, or Dr Fiona Kerr, and she talked about that that physical connection or that even just being nearby other people yeah. is, is mentally beneficial. Rather it's than mentally beneficial and uh, it's is not going to go away yeah. in okay. thousands of years. Yeah. Tell me about Brand South Australia. You're the chair of Brand South Australia. Yeah. You've been yeah. involved for a, for a long time, as I yeah, understand I did it. The, the original research trying to understand what the brand of South Australia was, yeah. um, which I think we did a good job of. Yeah. I think the uh, thing that we missed out on is setting an aspiration for what South Australia could be. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we held a mirror up to South Australia. We didn't say uh, to where the world, and, yeah. where would we like to be? Yeah. And, and I think that's the task now, and yeah. that is to say, uh, what are the things that we share as a community that other people would find attractive to invest, study, you know, whatever? Um, and I think the interesting thing is the world is made up of communities that share different values. What we've failed to do is, is, is put a stake in the sand to the values that we regard as important. Okay. Can you tell us a, a bit more about what Brand South Australia is? And one of the things that's been interesting about this podcast is we've, I think we're now sort of 45% outside of Australia, which is kind of kind of cool. <laughs> but, and, and I think we're, we're big in India and the US and a couple of little sort of spots popping yeah. up. But so what, what is Brand South well, Australia? Well, it goes back to, um, firstly, a definition of a regional brand. I, I think a regional brand is nothing more than a set of perceptions that sit in the minds of, a, of customers of that region. In other words, when I fly New York, Paris, Afghanistan into your head, 
what I've done is I've triggered a whole lot of uh, connected thoughts. And you go, where did they come from? Well, some of them came from the news. <laughs> some of them came from a chat to, with a, a mate of mine from Afghanistan in a yeah. pub. You know, did they come from ads or yeah. logos? No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I often say, would you like to go to New York? Oh, yeah, yeah. love to go there. Uh, would you like to live in New York? Oh, yeah, maybe for a little while. Mm. Or would you like to bring up kids? And oh no, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no, I was just we just go there for a great time and uh, yeah. get out of there. Oh, so you wouldn't bring up kids in New York? No. Where would you bring up kids? Oh, no, I don't know um, Adelaide Hills. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do that? Oh, because I, I want my kids grow up like I did. You know, whatever it is. So I think the interesting thing in that discussion is what are the values connected to that place? that we connect to, that fill a need in us. Because, you know, some of us are happy in a culture like New York. Some of us are happy in a culture like Adelaide. Yeah. And, and then you've got thousands of choices all over the world. The interesting thing is we tend to gravitate to the values that we um, grow up with. So Adelaide being home, the values that we adopt are the most comfortable ones. So when you take someone from Adelaide and put them in New York, you know, they, some of them will adapt, but a lot of them will come back going, oh, I don't, don't know if I like that. You grow up in New York, you stay there because you don't want it. So it's, it, again, you know, we've, we've got to stop putting the cup before the horse. The, the things that make these cities what they are, and Brand South Australia in particular, it, it, you know, is is the values of people, and just, so it, it brings that me- the brand of South Australia or brand South Australia brings meaning to the product of South Australia in, to us. Well, no, I, I, I reverse it. Reverse it. That it. Is yeah, the, okay. the, the people of South Australia create the brand yeah, of okay. South Australia. Yeah. So the values that we share as people that bring us together as yeah. a community are the things that define us as a city mm. and as a state things that we believe in. And it's very interesting because one of the things we discovered, for example, was there's a, a really uh, inherent concept of, of honesty, justice and trust uh, that exists here. So if someone gets a jail sentence that people, the community, whoever that is, think is unjust or not enough, but it'll be on the, in the paper, it'll be, you know discussed on radio, discussed in communities, and something ultimately gets done. Like if someone gets knocked off a cyclist, uh, off a bike, and gets a good behaviour bond, and yet they're paraplegic or die, the community rise up saying, sorry, not good enough. Yeah. And you go, does that happen everywhere else? And, and to some extent it does, but not as much mm. as it does here. And the reason is South Australia was a free, settled it, it, hmm. You know, this, this place was was created to represent the very best values of British society. Hmm. Yeah. And you know what? They're still out there yeah, okay. <laughs> in their funny ways yeah. in through the schools and funny little ways that the justice system works. It's ingrained, hmm. some of this stuff. And the reputation was for a little while. I think it, I, my sense is it's, it's changing, uh, is that, we, that those traditional values... Um, that we started with our forefathers bought um, created a degree of conservatism. Yeah. But it, yeah. it seems like that's, that's shifting. Is that I, I think it is because, um, because we, uh, conservatism changes no matter where you are. Mm. I think the interesting thing about brands out of Australia is our role needs to be 
to go out to the world and attract people who share our values, mm. not to attract people that fill occupational gaps or industry you know, growth phases. It's like, yeah, it's nice to go out and find people in the defence industry or pursue startups or whatever, but so is hundreds of other cities. Yeah. The unique combination of values in that city not only make us one of the most livable places mm. in the world, but livables are only useful if you for people who value livability. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's no, interesting. So I feel that like I'm trying to go through, but. So we've had some interviews with people who have been in Adelaide from overseas. So we've had Dr. Philip Alvelda and Andre Noel Shaker um, and Robert Turchek. And they were interesting talking about how what a wonderful place to be a startup entrepreneur and, and yeah. the like. So that kind of amazing, almost idealistic um, environment. They did make one or two of them made a little comment about going, we also need that drive to make that big change. We can't yeah. just sort of yeah. expect it all to happen. We can't just wait for the government to occur. And the, the, the interviews from people from Adelaide have largely been people who have come from somewhere else and they've moved here. So yeah. Philip Reedman uh, around wine, uh, Dr Fiona Kerr, Martin Reed, Stuart and, and Antula. So Stuart from India and, and a couple from UK and uh, yeah. Fiona was from Scotland. And that sort of beautiful kind of thing about it is that hub of it's such an easy place to live yeah. and think and, yeah. and, and drive. And, and, yeah. it, and it really matters less where you are. My sister works in the film industry and yeah. uh, sort of uh, spent a high school years and uni years here but lives in Melbourne but spends half a year in Tassie in Hobart. Yeah. And so yeah. she's getting... Like in, in a way, kind of thinking, well, do I move to Hobart yeah. or do I move to? So that that change in mentality, yeah. and I think Adelaide and places like it will will, will grow as a result. I, of that. I, I'm totally confident that uh, we will grow, but hopefully we attract people that share our values. Yeah, we? exactly. That's it's right. it's yeah. very interesting. I was, I was reading a very interesting article about Sweden yeah. and their, um, and how the influx of immigrants and refugees is changing the culture of mm. the country. It's changing the culture of the country because these refugees are bringing different values with them that are conflicting with the inherent values of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and all hell is breaking loose mm -hmm. in terms of politics and all sorts of stuff. And, and I think that's why, you know... Uh, these really interesting issues of young children getting up and singing the national anthem, mm -hmm. whether they should have the freedom to do that. Yeah. I think there is a, a, a bottom line that says, what are the values that were important? And, you know, don't lock them in because they mm. do need to change, but stick to them yeah. because that's what attracts yeah. the people we need. Yeah, like a business or product. One, I wrote an article some time ago about said not all, not all customers are equal and it was really about saying you want to attract the customers that actually yeah. fit your product and service otherwise yeah. you become vanilla and yeah. you adjust it to just fit everybody and be homogenous which maybe a big bank needs to do but yeah. uh, uh, other I, I, I'm, I'm a great uh, Simon Sinek disciple too yeah. in other words I, I think a lot of organisations have lost touch with their core purpose or meaning mm. and I think uh, that affects culture um, and it is the Wright brothers. You know, the, the thing isn't let's make money by starting an airline. That is the, the, the great purpose was let's fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of businesses and lots of organisations out there that have lost touch with yeah. why they're here. Yeah, like that why we exist. And that, that, that is as relevant for a business like ours or, yeah, or any other business as it is for a 
yeah. a city or a state. Yeah. Really, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. I, I think a, a state is is a is a product in a yeah. competitive world. Uh, it needs people. It needs businesses. And um, you know, I think when you just go out and buy them, yeah. uh, you know, buy the startup business, uh, we end up. Um, with the wrong people, and yeah. the thing falls over. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it's always been, too. Yeah. We did some work a couple of years ago about, I think it was younger people, under 30s, maybe even under 25s, about the, their perception of Adelaide and South Australia. And through that project, it was interesting about their perceptions, about what they want, and, and, and largely wanting a, uh, an evolved version of what we've got. Yeah. But they, weren't, they weren't as negative as, as some other, other generations locally but there's one one of our clients at the same time she, she just moved over from uh portland uh, Oregon, Oregon, i think it was in, in, in yeah. the u.s and she yeah. said we're similar but portland's always been um had a strong sense of self-identity yeah. um and a, a drive to kind of move move forward yeah. and, and i think we i certainly sort of get that I, sense well, where, I, I think if you boil it down the essence of what brands australia is all about is define that identity yeah and then make sure we apply it in everything we do. In other words, one of the things we're working towards is this belief that um, the alignment of what we are with an ambition is, it sort of comes together with uh, around Adelaide City Council's key strategic values, which is livability, smart, um, creative and sustainable or green. I think those four values are the four sort of core things that we should define every action in the state. Yeah. And it, it, it hit home to me when um, uh, Ian Scobie, who runs WOMAD, got up at a presentation recently and talked about the coffee cups and restoring the botanic gardens mm. back to normal. And he did it in the same context of the music and entertainment. Mm -hmm. In other words, sustainability was as much a part of the, that music event as the music itself. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I, they're, they're the things, they're the values that I think are really appealing to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's only those. I, I, I choose SA as an initiative of brand SA. Do you want yeah, to and I think it plays a role in terms of um, making people aware of the um, uh, role that, that the local business is playing in employing people in our economic prosperity. It's not the solution. We're never, gonna get, as someone said, we're never going to get rich selling lattes to each other. Um, but it is a component, I think, to make people appreciate that buying local products is important. Um, and to some extent, we're in the right place at the right time because, uh, you know, there is a comes back full circle to this issue of trust and that is I'm much more likely to trust someone locally than I am someone yeah, overseas okay. or interstate yeah. because I can eyeball them basically yeah. I can you know if I have to and that's that's what that's what's led to the growth of local markets mm. and local community um, sporting clubs and all sorts of things mm, yeah. yeah and and I guess for those it's highlighting there are strong local products in certain yeah. categories that they could purchase yeah. over a competitor. Well, I think it's, it's linking the product to its uh, consequences. In yeah. other words, you buy this product, it leads to these jobs, yeah. and those jobs are people sitting next to you. Sort yeah, of thing. Okay. that's good. That's good.
And, and that, that whole idea, I guess, from a brand South Australia, I choose SA perspective, it's... I guess, do, do cultures grow organically or do they need intervention? It probably sounds like it's sort of a bit of, bit of both. They, they grow organically, but it's nice to have that. Yeah, I, that, I, that bringing, yeah. in the context of what I've been saying, I choose it doesn't work unless people were thinking that in the first place. Yeah. I, I think the role of communication is to trigger meaning yeah. and to highlight issues that connect to what people are thinking about. And the connection point there was... I'm worried about my job. Yeah. And if I can, you know, the, it's interesting, Nova is running a cute little ad at the moment that says, I'd like to buy a job. And it's, that'll be $2.30. Yeah, what do you mean? Well, you give me two, if every family spends $2.30, that'll lead to 600 jobs. Yeah. yeah okay. And you go, wow. Yeah. Oh, I can easily spend $2.30 a week. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you go, that, that to me is it's the essence of what that campaign is all about. Yeah, okay. That's great. What do you think the essence of a small local brand, let's say a family business or, or otherwise, to be successful in a market like South Australia? What um, well, like, you know, it's, my little formula has never let me down. Yeah. In other words, find what means something to people. And, and, I, and I say this because it's a really simple formula. It's a really hard thing to do. And that it does come back to your profession, and that is, how do I understand the meaning that my product or service can uh, satisfy? Mm. Now, it, it depends on where you are. If it's a food product and I'm nervous about something, then, then, then address that nervousness. <laughs> um, if it's... Uh, you know, as you said before, if it's something that's aggravating me or uh, can make my life easier, um, you know, I, I find it interesting that by and large we all drive to work mm. the same way every day, day after day. There must be thousands of combinations of the way to get to work. And it's interesting, we will come across some roadworks or accidents and we work our way around that. And you go, why do we do that? Well, we're the, we do that because I don't really want to put a lot of effort in driving to work. I want to make this as simple as I can make it, please. And if I can go on autopilot and, and get there, all the better. Because you know what? I've got other stuff to think yeah. about. So, so when, it, when you know, there's roadworks or an accident, I've got to divert, that requires effort. And I think it's the same sort of mentality for the way that we buy uh, products and services. And that is, listen, I need this thing. I need banking. Um, just make it easy for me. When mm-hmm. you, you know, And I, I think that's why internet banking is so... Is save the banks. And that is, it's a hell of a lot easier sitting here with my phone paying a bill to you than it is going down to the... You know, mm. the bank standing in a queue and That's you go, right. they've done nothing more than make the same transaction easy. That's right. But if there's a problem, you'll fix it. Yeah, but, but I think the motivation is I don't need to spend time and effort, personal time and effort, mm. in doing these things. If you can find a way to make it easy. The reason my, my great belief in um, 
uh, you know, the power of organisations like Amazon is not that they're anything special in terms of retail or it's the same old product. You just made the whole process mm. just so much easier. You know, I was spending my life going around three shops, getting quotes, whatever. Uh, they never had it in stock in the right colour. And now I go online and go, that, and it turns up in two days. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. What if you had a jar of your Nabarossa or another McLaren available or another area of, of Adelaide or South Australia and you produce some, I don't know, some olives or I know you've, you've got a little digital device that you yep. can sell. How, how do you make that? I, I, or a I, wine or whatever it might be. I think the interesting, having spent a bit of time in the wine industry, the, the thing that drives wine is, is not the wine. I mean, you're talking to someone who sold 25,000 cans of wine bottle dust. So I, um, I, I think it's the stories and the people. Mm. In other words, when I buy into a Penfolds or a Henschke or whatever, I'm buying some character. Mm-hmm. Not defined necessarily by the wine, because I've got no doubt I could put five or six wines in front of you, blindfold yeah. you, you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. But when I pay $30 for that one compared to $10 for that one, I'm buying a story and, a, and meaning. I'm buying yeah. meaning. Like I, w- I went to that. Uh, cellar door 10 years ago and I've got this relationship oh it's true that it was a great thing in my life or whatever whatever it is all I'm doing is is trying to activate and find meaning in all of this stuff so the essence of uh, answering your question is where's the meaning that a small business can uh, provide to its customers so it, and generally it needs a personal story yeah. in there and that can be a charity, it could be a story of the winemaker, it could be a story of the grape or the soil or whatever. It's got to have genuine meaning. Otherwise, it's a commodity. Yeah. So if you were a jar of, jar of olives, they, they taste nice. Pick a whole uh, lot and you want to actually make it so you can actually If you're open. a jar of olives and they taste nice, you better be bloody efficient. And, um, but if you're a jar of olives... And those trees were imported from Spain on a ship in 1870 and they were crafted and went through three bushfires or whatever. I don't know what it is, but if if there's something that connects that... Yeah. um, You need that old wow. And you go, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I I can do that. You know, meaning can come from a variety of different sources for... a range of different people. There is no universal meaning. The things that drive you and are meaningful for you might be totally different. And is that about sort of that, that, that brand owning that story and being really confident that that story is yeah. a good story and being authentic and building up that trust? Yeah, was, yeah. Not telling someone else's story. I, we had somebody on well, during the week that we, we spoke to and they had a great business and it was, I guess, one of our, without saying too much, is... Um, my sense is they weren't bringing that family and how long they've been making this product into it. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, they just look like a, a big, yeah. a soulless grocery brand. Yeah. So it's been able to kind of be proud of what you might have that yeah. distinguishes you. Yeah, yeah. In, in the wine business, I mean, I've done a couple of jobs over the years. One was uh, Angos, which was just seen as a big Riverland winery. And the insight was uh, it was run by the family mm. and, and all of the kids and dads and uncles and these were in it. So we sort of brought that alive. Mm. It's the same with Bremerton down um, at Langhorn Creek. You know, two girls 
make me wine, and you know, they, it's, it's mm. it, it, you go, well, what's that good to do? Well, you know, it's unusual. Yeah, you know? no, it's interesting. <laughs> I know that there's there's brands like Hoopers who a big part of their story is is, is their family, and others yeah. will we've done work for over the years. And it's almost like they're a little bit embarrassed by the fact that they've got. Yeah. got roots where it might be and it's yeah. almost going no no we want to be bigger we don't want to be talking about that go well I don't know, maybe embrace your, embrace your story and be, be confident about it yeah. uh, we started off right at the start about uh, you as a curious young boy like, if we bring it back at, towards the end of the discussion of what are your suggestions for young people moving forward so whether that's kids or I don't know young professionals what, what, what do you think what would um <sighs> As I said, I mean, in my experience, curiosity is one of the great motivators and drivers of any life. Irrespective Uh, of time. Irrespective of time. You know, I can be... You'll find this funny, but when I first moved to Adelaide, I had a little house in North Adelaide and I sat in the attic working out the wiring <laughs> in the house because I couldn't afford an electrician. Yeah. And I said, there's just a cable going down there and it connects to that switch and comes up there. This can't be too hard. And, um, and uh, it wasn't so much that, uh, you know, that I, ultimately I knew I needed to get an electrician. I thought, how does that work? You know, And once you understand these things, it's, it's quite interesting. So I think the, the great... And I don't really know whether this is a nature-nurture question. Um, how do you encourage kids to be curiosity about, uh, be curious about something? Mm. I don't care whether it's, you know, guitar strings or um, cybercrime. Mm. I think if you're interested and in, uh, genuine about it, then uh, pursue it and the world will open up. You know, if, if you do nothing more than are curious about making a better guitar string, you might find yourself running a $10 million yeah, business right. in three years' time out of Tail and Bend yeah. <laughs> um, um, compared to any other area of interest. I, I, I think you, you can't... There's so much change going on, you can't predict tomorrow. All you can do is act on what you do today. Yeah. And does curiosity mean that you don't just accept everything at face value? So there's more information available, say, through yeah, an yeah. iPad or an yeah. internet or whatever, but it's just, it's, it's that curiosity, but it's also questioning yeah, whether I, this I, is I mean, fact I, or fiction. You know, we live in an age where the world's information is sitting in my pocket. Mm. <laughs> you, you can ask me any question you like, I can give you an answer. The real issue is is what I do with that, how I judge it, uh, how do I assess whether it's useful to me or not. Hopefully education gives us the ability to do that. Um, But but the biggest teacher is experience. You know, we judge people and we judge careers and products by our experience. Yeah. Fiona Kerr in her interview, and right right at the start of her interview, she had a really good point about going, we... um, Adults believe that children are really great at jumping from one app to the next, to the next, to the next, but that doesn't form strong knowledge bases that mean we can do things intuitively. That curiosity, that mean we're yeah. going to willing to dig a bit deeper rather than a shallow level. Is that? Is I that you fair? know, I, 
It's very interesting. Like my son will play FIFA for yeah. all hours of the night. I actually sat down with him for a couple of hours and just watched him play. He is not simply mindlessly kicking little virtual soccer balls around. He's trading players. He's working out, if I take that player at 18 and give him these games, mm. do I increase his value? Uh, I'm going, jeepers. Mm. This, is, <laughs> this is teaching this, what if adults would call this stupid video game, is teaching him more about life mm. than I would have experienced at, you know, double his age. Life and strategy and all that. Yeah, that, that, yeah because, that, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it does rely on the programming of the game, yeah. of course. Um, but I, I think, you know, we've got to stop judging all of this stuff and saying our kids are spending too much time on screens, which I think to some extent... There is some, uh, you know, it's changing the wiring in our mm. brain. There's no doubt about that. But then it's, is that a good thing or a bad mm -hmm. thing? Is that the generation that they're going to live in? And then you go, where are the basic human drives being distorted by this? Mm. And that's where big business opportunities come. You know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in that, a bit of involvement recently in a, in a concept that sport is the saviour of community. Yeah, yeah. In other words, when I've lost faith in big business, government, whatever, community sport brings me together around a set of rules which, if abused, you get discarded because the, all of the rules are being challenged mm. now. Um, uh, and you go, I think people are looking for that structure in their life to say... When I step over that mark, I'm in trouble. Yeah, okay. Compared to, you know, I think we watch the news and go, jeepers, that guy is up for his 20th drink driving charge um, and um, got a $200 good behaviour bond. Okay? That doesn't seem right. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. Yeah, okay. Compared to uh, you um, uh, push that guy in the back mm. in the footy game, free kick. Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, well, I'm sorry, but the umpire's decision goes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and all of this stuff of challenging umpires is really interesting at the moment, yeah. whether it be you know, on a tennis court or in a football game. And I think as a society, we've got this big obligation to step up and say, we've got these rules, we're prepared to review them every now and then, but you play by them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because without that, we have chaos. Yeah. And that's, almost, that's, that's another lesson for, for younger people too, isn't it? Yeah. Being curious, but knowing there are rules. Well, and, yeah, I, I think that and, is and, one and of the great lessons. Yeah, so. And that is you have every right to, to challenge the status quo and challenge the rules. But if the rules uh, exist, play by them. Yeah, okay. Because you know what? They're for your benefit. Yeah. It's like we're sitting in a restaurant. Without regulations and rules, we die. Mm. Food poisoning. <laughs> right? You, you go, well... It's, it costs a fortune to have regulations and rules in this restaurant. I, I'd be a lot better off without them. No, you wouldn't. Because mm, right. you'd abuse trust and those rules save you and yeah. they save us. Right. Um, how can people find you on social media or otherwise, or a brand SA or um, yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, through Brand South Australia yeah. is the best thing. You yeah. know, I, I love the whole concept of uh, trying to understand 
culture and uh, values that drive communities, and uh, whether that be in Mount Gambia or, or Adelaide or Australia, um, and and attracting the people uh, that that share those values. And it's the same. I, I'm, I, I love reversing things. I think the people that buy products and services are the people who get who, who, who want those things because they represent the values of their life. Yeah. And I'll put it back to you, and that is, it's, it's understanding that through research. Mm. That is the key, you know... I can remember, uh, and you, you'd appreciate this, I could sit through a Hugh McKay group mm. and walk out of there with a $10 million idea mm. after an hour and a half doing nothing more than listening to Hugh talking to people about their lives. Mm. And he, he wouldn't even put an ad mm. or a product on the thing. He would have affinity groups of people talking about issues of the day mm. in the old days. And you go, wow, that's... You know, compared to what do you think of this ad? Well, the basic thing is, it's an ad, buddy. <laughs> and, and I guess that's sort of a, that's a really good, um, I guess, point to finish up on. But sort of, it, to me, I guess one of the challenges is when um, we're kind of risk adverse to a certain point, um, and so the research might reveal a big opportunity, might reveal a fundamental wrong that needs to be made right that's existed forever, and they might go well. That's not how our sector operates, or yep. we're not going to do that. Or if it was a big issue, it was an opportunity someone else would have would have leveraged it. So one thing we can find as a challenge sometimes, and luckily we've got great clients, is that the and I'm going to say like a billion dollar idea or the grain game breaking idea is there, yeah, but they won't take it up. And you're going, oh, so, so how do you when, like when the, yeah, the I, idea is there or the opportunity yeah. is there? I, you know, I've uh, uh, one of the things that experience has taught me is that ideas um, are like opinions. Everyone's got one. Implementing them mm. and turning them into action is incredibly difficult. Mm. You know, everyone thinks it's the other way around, that coming up with an idea is the hard part. I actually find that the idea, there's lots of ideas. It's how do you take that idea and make it work? And I've always felt that, that you know, the best analogy is uh, like, how do I build a database with, um, you know, two million people on it? You start with one, <laughs> and you get another one, yeah. and by the end of the week, you got two hundred, and the end of the month, you got two thousand, yeah. and you just. Keep so, is that going. about having that insight or that or that opportunity and going? How do we bring in influence or networks or to, to be well, able to drive I, I, that change? Yeah, that... I, I, th I think it's a, a, you know, it's a function of saying, you know, don't set out to take over the world, take over the house next door. Yeah. <laughs> and then the house next door. Um, in other words, I, I think we have to be totally incremental in the way we approach things rather than go, you know, let's be big in defence. Let's, no, let's just get good at something. And, yeah. and, You've you got know, to take those steps to get yeah. to that, the top of the mountain. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we've, we've become impatient to yeah. get somewhere in a hurry rather than say, no, let's just focus on the things in front of us right yeah. now. All right, good. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Good. Cheers. Thanks. Before we say goodbye, until next week, some closing bits. Firstly, thank you so much to our listeners. We have been blown away with the response, the feedback, and your support. 
Our listeners and subscribers continue to grow in numbers and now just gone two months in, our audience is 45% from outside of Australia. That was 25% after month one. The US makes up about 25% of our audience, then India, Sweden, United Kingdom, Vietnam, Greece, Denmark, Germany, New Zealand, Canada, Spain, Russia, Thailand, Malaysia, and even Zimbabwe. So thank you so much. And thank you to our local listeners across Australia. If you have only just discovered Real People, our most popular three episodes so far are episode three, consumer global trend expert Christina Dreiser, number 12, neuroscientist Dr. Elvira Fisher, number two, design thinking expert Seward Hanantula. And thank you so much to all our wonderful guests. Now we've got a bit of momentum, there's no stopping us, so get in touch with any ideas on guests, questions, etc. via my social media at Jason Dunstone or email jason at squareholes.com. If you are interested in receiving our every Friday same time emails on everything consumer-centred, customer-focused, entrepreneurialism and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Square Holes team, and special guests who have included... Uh, Rachel Kidwell, Troy Forrest, and Steve Samartino. Go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list. You can also find additional information and play our previous episodes of Real People. Please subscribe to Real People via iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, please leave a review. The reviews just help us, uh, one, to get some feedback to know, um, hopefully, that we're doing an okay job. Uh, please leave a review. If you can write a review, that's great. If you just want to click the uh, little stars, that's also good. Reviews just mean we can um, improve our rankings and hopefully grow our audiences. Thank you for listening and have a great day. All right.